0: Hey y'all, welcome to the Bible Study Podcast. Thanks for stopping by. This week we're going to look at the power of the gospel, COVID-19, and how to focus on Jesus and the storms of life. I pray you take something from it. Thanks again. Enjoy. So this week we'll be in the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews is a pretty spectacular book of the Bible. In it, the writer, who no one knows by the way, talks about the supremacy of God, who Jesus is. Great examples of faith and how to live a life worthy of the call we've been given as believers. For these reasons, I think it's so important that we look to it when we think about the awe inspiring power of the gospel. When I taught the Bible study at Southside High School, we used to talk about how once you've been radically transformed by the power of the gospel, you will never be the same. And I always thought that was a bold statement, but also an extremely accurate one. If you claim to love Jesus but don't act like it, if people wouldn't recognize you as someone who's been with Jesus, then that's a problem. So ask yourself do I live like someone who loves Jesus? or someone who loves the world. And I'm not telling you that you have to be some boring, no fun, reserved person who lives at the top of a mountain away from everyone else. You don't have to go full scarlet letter in the way you live and act. What I'm saying is you're called to be set apart. Too many times Christians turn people away from Jesus by the way they live because they see no—they either see no difference between themselves and so-called believers or they're turned away by those who think they're so much better than others because of how they claim to live. Jesus does not call us to be better than anyone else. We're no better than anyone else. Matthew 25 tells us that we are all the least of these. We're all in need of a Savior. So don't ever think you're entitled, and that's unacceptable. Be in the world, but not of it. Titus 2, 12-13 tells us to live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God. While we look forward to hope that that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be revealed. The book of Galatians tells us that we have nailed the passions and desires of our sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. That means we're no longer bound by them, no longer captive to them, no longer ensnared by them. Sin's power is broken, and the same power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the heavenly realms is present in the heart of all believers. Think about that for a moment. The same power that raised Christ from the dead, the same power that raised Christ from the dead lives inside of you. That's pretty incredible to me, and Someone with that power doesn't quite fit in with the rest of the world. Someone who's been truly transformed by the power of the gospel. Someone who's truly accepted Christ. Someone who is truly on fire for Jesus. They are different. They are set apart. They are set free. And more importantly, they live like it. They act like it. They've been raised to new life with Christ. Christ was beaten, mocked, and hung on a cross to die to save you and me and everyone else in the world, transcending time and space from death and being thrown into the depths of hell. He put death to death when God raised him from the dead. How awesome is that? Death's, death has no power over us, so don't live like it does. Run full throttle, be unashamed, and allow the Holy Spirit to flow through you. In Hebrews 11, the Biblical Hall of Fame is that line. and if you're unfamiliar with that chapter, then check out episode 3 of the podcast. It, it gets covered in detail there, and, and it's an incredible account of people who understood what it means to truly follow Jesus and knew the awesome power of the gospel. So you may be asking what the power of the gospel is. So in the firearms and tactics world, whenever we go to instruct other people or groups or go out and train with each other, we always demo a drill first before we'll run it. So that way a few things happen. Number one, people see that we know what we're talking about, that we're qualified to be (laughs) instructing them, that we're not just some morons with Gucci gear and Nerf guns who are running an elaborate Nigerian Prince style pyramid scheme. Number two, so that people see that data-driven tactics and ideas that we've been discussing the whole time we're out there, that they work, that it is possible And a lot of times people are intimidated by showing up at a range if they've never been around firearms or they've never done any kind of training and they think they can't do it. And that's why we break everything down as simple as can be, because that's all being good at something is, is is focusing on the basics and being really good at those. And so we run it to show that it's possible. And thirdly, to show that, that with an understanding of what will happen if you do A, B, C, and D, then this is what should happen, which goes back to what is, what is possible. That question, what is possible? So I want to take this same approach to the power of the gospel. So let's see what the gospel can do, what living for Jesus can do, what having faith in the one who created the heavens and earth can do, and then what it is. So that way we know what's possible. Again, because we're going, to, we're going to break it down just like we're instructing at the range. It's going to be real real simple, real fun, real cool. But first, let's pray, and we'll start in Hebrews eleven thirty-two through 40. So, Father, we come to you today. We pray that you will speak through me, that no one will hear my voice, that they would hear yours. We pray that we run to you that we trust in you regardless of anything that we may be going through, that we lay it all down at the foot of the cross, that we, uh, as we go through this passage today, we learn about the incredible power of the gospel. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So 11 through 32 of Hebrews. Let's read there. It's the second half of that uh, Hall of Fame passage. So what does it what does it say? Paul asks, he says, how m- or not Paul, the writer of Hebrews, sorry. He says, how much more do I need to say? It would take too long to recount the stories of the faith of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and all the prophets. By faith, these people overthrew kingdoms, ruled with justice, and received what God had promised them. They shut the mouths of lions, quenched the flames of fire, and escaped death by the edge of the sword. And Their weakness was turned to strength. They became strong in battle and put whole armies to flight. Women received their loved ones back again from death. But others were tortured. Refusing to turn from God in order to be set free, they placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. Some were jeered at, and their backs were cut open with whips. Others were chained in prisons. Some died by stoning, some were sawed in half, and others were killed with a sword. Some went about wearing skins of sheep and goats, destitute and oppressed and mistreated. They were too good for this world, wandering over deserts and mountains, hiding in caves and holes all over the ground. All of these people earned a good reputation because of their faith, yet none of them, received all that God had promised. For God had something better in mind for us so that they would not reach perfection without us. So Paul has just talked about an incredible group of people, and then he tells us what happened because of their faith. He says, They shut the mouths of lions. They overthrew kingdoms. They ruled with the justice. They received what God had promised for them. They escaped death over and over, quenched the flames of fire, and their weakness was turned to strength. First of all, that's so cool. I've always loved that passage, but... That's what happens when you have faith in Jesus. Most importantly there, the writer of Hebrews says that they received what God had promised them, which is eternal life, the reward for following Jesus. In chapter 12, they write that we should run with endurance the race that is set before us, receiving the crown of life at the finish. So when I was in high school, I ran cross-country for two years, and then a few years in middle school too. So I'm intimately familiar with the idea of running with endurance and the immense pain that is associated with it. I hate running I do it now to maintain a standard standard of functional fitness to protect the people I care about, but that doesn't mean I hate it any less. Running is not fun, and after several miles, it starts to become more about survival than fitness. Those of you who run understand that. Uh, running with endurance is about putting one foot in front of the other and carrying on to the finish. No matter how bad it hurts, no matter how long the race or how difficult the terrain, you continue to put one foot in front of the other and push on to the finish. So the writer of Hebrews, when he says to run the race with endurance, they truly mean that. It it won't be easy in the moment in the middle of the race when it's late at night when you're alone and the hill seems too high when you want to give up. It will seem impossible. You will feel overwhelmed like you can't see a way out, like God has abandoned you. But verses 36 through 38 show that not everyone who accepted Christ and committed to radical change lived happily ever after. Let's read that again, 36 through 38. It says, But others were tortured. Refusing to turn from God in order to be set free, they placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. Some were jeered at, and their backs were cut open with whips. Others were chained in prisons. Some died by stoning. Some were sawed in half. And others were killed with a sword. Some went about wearing skins of sheep and goats, destitute and oppressed and mistreated. They were too good for this world, wandering over deserts and mountains, hiding in caves and holes all over the ground. That still happens today, too. But the point of that, they ran with endurance. And as a result... They received the crown of life at the end. They continued to put one foot in front of the other, even in the midst of the storm, in the midst of hard times, when they were alone, when it was the darkest, when they were imprisoned, when their backs were cut open with whips, when they were sawed in half, even in the face of death, in death, they carried on. They never gave up, for they knew that they were never alone. God had not abandoned them, and He remained there with them in the midst of it. They suffered for the sake of the gospel so that the grace of God could be magnified further through their suffering. They understood the power of gospel, the power of the resurrection that we celebrate on Easter, that death is defeated, that it has no power over them, that they held fast and finished the race, that they received the crown of life as a result of their sufferings. How could they do that? Look at the rest of the verses about running the race, verses 1 through 4 of chapter 12. It says, "Therefore." then you won't become weary and give up after all you have not yet given your lives in the struggle against sin we do this by keeping our eyes on jesus by never giving up i'm reminded of the story of jesus walking on the water in the middle of the storm jesus tells peter to walk on the water peter is like sir that is not what my physics teacher taught me but jesus calls him to have faith to keep his eyes on to keep his eyes on jesus not the storm that was surrounding them, not the waves, not the boat, not the lightning, but on Jesus. And when Peter does this, he's able to walk on the water and he goes out on faith in the one who created the storm, the one who would go on to defeat death and who was able to walk on the water. But Peter is like us. He has worries, he has struggles, he has pain, he has anxiety and doubt, just like me and just like you and every other human to walk the earth. It's like we know from the Old Testament, nothing is new under the sun. So Peter loses faith. He sees the storm around him and the crashing waves and the roar of the thunder and he feels overwhelmed and alone and he feels helpless. He doesn't know what to do. So he takes his eyes off Jesus. And what happens? He starts to sink. Thankfully, Jesus is there and he reaches out to him and grabs him. And he doesn't drown. But when you take your eyes off Jesus... You sink every single time, I promise. And you might not be doing it on purpose. You may be busy with a job or focused on family or shut in your house because of corona and your screen time is up 75%. You've slept in until 12 or you've stayed up all night doing whatever. Any of that could take your eyes off Jesus. You may not even notice you've done it until you've started to sink and you feel helped and, trapless. and trapped and helpless. That was good English. But hear me when I say that you are not trapped. You are not alone and you are never too far gone. There is nothing my God cannot do John Piper likes to say that every millisecond of our suffering is doing something. And I have to believe that. God hasn't set the storm for no reason or just to torment you. That doesn't show the power of the gospel. Just like Jonah, sometimes we have to be swallowed by the whale. God had to throw a storm in my life and allow me to be swallowed by the whale, so I would start the Bible study years ago. I ran from it, and he swallowed me and said, No, this is is what I want you to do. And there's a preacher, doctor, his name's Eric Mason. He's a fantastic guy, and I love the stuff that he does. And he did a study through the book of Jonah where he asked the question, and we went through it in Sunday school a couple of weeks back. And the question was, what in your life does God have to throw a storm at to get you to focus on him? What in your life does God have to throw a storm at to get you to focus on him? I think that's a good question. Is it a relationship, a lifestyle, a friend group, whatever? What is keeping you from focusing on Jesus? God allows us to go through trials so that our faith will be tested, like it says in 1 Peter 1, 6-7. So that His grace may be magnified further, like it says in John 3, and so that we will keep our eyes on Jesus, like we see here in the story of Peter in Hebrews 12, through What is keeping you from focusing on Jesus? Really think about that. I've always believed that if I pray for wisdom, God isn't just going to give me wisdom. He'll give me the opportunity to gain wisdom. And it's my job to focus on Jesus, to look for those opportunities, to take them, and then I will gain wisdom. What Talking about coronavirus for a second, what if God allowed this horrible pandemic to shut down the world as we know it so that we'll slow down, focus on him, and draw near to him again? What if it was so that He would be magnified further as a result. What if it was so that our faith would be tested like gold is purified by fire? I'm not God. I've never claimed to be, and I'm not going to be, and I'm not saying that's the case. But what if it was? Are you using this time to draw near to God, or are you wasting away watching The Office for the 70th, 70th time? As a community of believers, we come out of this worldwide quarantine one of three ways. One, stronger than ever before, as we have taken this time to draw near to God, into each other allowing ourselves to truly run with endurance, putting one foot in front of the other. And when it's over, we go out and we be the hands and feet of Jesus. Number two, we wasted this time worrying about the politics of it all, the logistics of having church in an era filled with different mediums to do so, and the theology behind it. We squandered our capability to effect change. And we took our eyes off of Jesus and allowed ourselves to be swallowed by the storm. And three, we come out of this time no different than we went in. Which is arguably worse than coming out of it one way or the other. As an individual, you come out of this one or three ways. One, stronger than ever, you took this time God allowed you to draw near to Him, to read your Bible, to pray, to live a life unashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of Christ at work in the heart of all those who believe, preparing to go out and tell others about what He has done in your life. You are renewed and ready to live for Jesus, knowing the full power of the gospel, the same power that raised Christ from the dead is present in your heart and flowing through you. Two, you wasted the time God gave you to grow in your faith and allowed the monotony of it all to overwhelm you. You didn't read your Bible because, frankly, you didn't care enough to. You didn't spend time with God because you felt as though he had abandoned you and left you to pick up the pieces of the colossal wreck you think your life is all alone. And three, you come out of it no different than you went in. If you were on the path and you continued to run with endurance, you continued to read your Bible to pray and worship, and if you felt alone and forsaken, then you continued to feel that way. You didn't read your Bible and talk to God, not because you didn't want to or because you didn't think you needed to, but because you were indifferent about it. You didn't care enough to actually do it. My prayer is that as a church, we would go with option one and grow as a body of believers remaining steadfast in our faith, preparing to go forth and fulfill the call in Matthew 28 to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. My prayer is that as an individual you grew in your faith, that you put away childish things in the passions of your flesh and nailed the desires of your sinful nature to his cross, that you read the story of Jesus, that you developed a stronger relationship with him and kept your eyes on the author of life, that you allowed this storm God through at you to help you focus on Jesus and realize that you're never alone, even in the midst of the storm and the midst of the hard times. And I believe that's doable. I really do. I believe that God will be magnified and that he will provide one way or the other and that we will all receive the crown of life at the end that's the power of the gospel it shuts the mouths of lions quenches the flames of fire heals the sick frees the oppressed so with all of that what is the gospel? the gospel is the story of Jesus the gospel is the red letters the gospel is our rescue story the gospel is the spoken words of Jesus it is powerful it gives life it sets us free it is redemption redemption Hebrews 4.12 says that the Word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. That is so incredible to me. The Word of God is alive and powerful. The Word of God is alive and powerful. It really is. And if you don't believe that, if it seems far-fetched or straight out of AP language or English 102 or whatever, then engross yourself in the gospel. Live it, study it, think about it, and I can guarantee you'll change your mind. The Word of God is alive and powerful. The Word of God is alive and powerful. Have faith in the Lord of the Heaven's armies, the one who created the cosmos, the one who created you and draw near to Him, and He will never let you go. You are never alone. Be steadfast, run to Him, read your Bible, the Word of God, it is alive and powerful. Allow the Holy Spirit to flow through you to be truly unashamed. Don't waste the time God has given you. Don't waste the time God has given you. Come out of this stronger than before. Let's go back to those options that we had just a second ago. Let's start with number one for the church. Because this is this is where we want to be as a community of believers in this worldwide quarantine. We would come out stronger than ever before as we have taken this time to draw near to God and each other allowing ourselves to truly run with endurance putting one foot in front of the other running with endurance the race that is set before us so that way when it's over we go out and we be the hands and feet of Jesus and as an individual that you would come out stronger than ever that you took this time that God allowed you to slow down to draw near to him to read your Bible to pray to live a life unashamed of the gospel for just the power of Christ at work in the heart of all those who believe that that same power that raised Christ from the dead would live in you, that you would prepare to go out and tell others about what he has done in your life, that you were renewed and ready to live for Jesus, knowing the full power of the gospel, the power that raised Christ from the dead is present in your heart and flowing through you. I pray that's what happens. Not the alternative. I pray that you would go forth and fulfill the call in Matthew 28 to make disciples that you would grow in your faith, that you put away childish things and nail the passions and desires of your sinful nature to his cross and crucify them there, that only your only interest would be living for Jesus, that you develop a stronger relationship with him, that you keep your eyes on the author of life, that you allow this storm God throws at you to help you focus on Jesus to realize you were never, never alone, ever, even in the midst of the storm. Because he will be magnified. He will provide for us. And we will receive the crown of life at the end. The gospel shuts the mouths of lions, quenches the flames of fire, it heals the sick and it frees the oppressed. Psalm 72 verse 4 says, Defend the poor, rescue the children of the needy and free the oppressed. And that has always, man, what I've tried to live by. And I do it better than others some days. We're all human. We all take our eyes off Jesus. We're like Peter and we sink and we fall. Short daily. But that's okay. Because we will go on, we will go forth, and the gospel will prevail. Why? Hebrews 4.12 The word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. The Word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. So draw near to Jesus. Run to Him, and He will make your path straight. Read the Bible. It is alive and powerful. Live it. Study it. Think about it. And I guarantee you'll agree. Have faith in the Lord of the heaven's armies, the one who created the cosmos, the one who created you. Draw near to Him. He will never let you go. Be steadfast. Read your Bible. Talk to God. He's always there. Don't waste the time God has given you. I'll finish with Hebrews twelve one through 4. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, then you won't become weary and give up. After all, you have not yet given your lives in the struggle. I can't sin. I'm thankful for the opportunity to speak to all of you, and I hope to see you back next week. Until then, keep putting one foot in front of the other. Don't waste the time God has given you. Read the Bible, for it is alive and powerful. It is the image of the invisible God. Thanks, y'all.